Hello, my name is Nicholas Corey, and you are listening to Enter the Novelcast. Cybersaurus, The Awakening, Chapter 7 Mr. Warren Baker walked out of the facility, his frustration barely showing on his middle-aged facial features. He had tried for Dr. Wolf several more times, as well as attempting to force his way into the facility with his newly granted administration authority, but such attempts were to no avail. It seemed that Dr. Harland Wolf had changed the security codes for the facility, or at least removed the subsystems that the company had provided him with, which were among some of the most secure in the world. Mr. Baker was beginning to see what a thorn Dr. Wolf was becoming to the investors. The skills and knowledge the man had picked up throughout his various prestigious career paths had all come to a head in this new facility. It was like trying to push over a tree that had been planted 150 years ago. He was going to need some heavy equipment. Swiping his eyes across his digital display, Baker opened a call to the investors. He knew they hated to be bothered, especially with matters like this, but he didn't see any other choice at this point. Dr. Wolf had been uncooperative at best, obstructing his ability to complete his task, and so he would, at the very least, inform the investors of the situation. After only a few seconds of ringing, there was a click as Investor Beta accepted the incoming call. Mr. Baker, the investor greeted with a cold precision. Good afternoon, Baker said, almost shakily. It was never a good idea to deliver bad news to an investor. He had heard stories of other officials who had been demoted or transferred simply because the investors were unhappy with the situation, whether or not the official had any control over the matter itself. What is your status? Impeded, Baker said. Dr. Wolf appears to have replaced the facility's original security codes with his own. Administration authority no longer works. Is that all? And after stalling for some time, Dr. Wolf now refuses to answer any of my calls. I'm working my way around the back of the facility now to see if there is another entrance. Good. Make certain that Dr. Wolf understands that. If he continues to impede our ability to obtain what is rightfully ours, then we will prosecute him to the furthest extent of the law. Of course. Investor Beta continued. I'm quite certain that no amount of lawyers he could hire would be able to dig him out of the financial and professional hole he has dug for himself. Most certainly not. Have you established any visual contact with any of the specimens you were sent to retrieve? Um, no. Have you established any visual contact with Dr. Harland Wolf? No, only auditory calls. I will remain on the call until you contact him again. I feel that he needs a course correction that only an investor can provide. Of course, Baker said. Would you like me to set you to speaker, or should I just... Baker stopped mid-sentence. He had worked his way around the small parking lot of the facility and into the concrete testing yards at the south side, the rear of the structure. As he rounded the corner, he had heard the sounds of electronic motors buzzing, of power tools operating, and of sparks flying. When he came around the rear of the building, he was standing at the top of the loading ramp, which descended down into the back of the facility. His eyes widened as he saw the destruction down below, which the worker bots were attempting to repair. 
The shutter door was open, and the garage inside was littered with metal bits and mechanical parts, strewn about in disarray. Baker slowly descended the ramp towards the facility. Mr. Baker, what is your status? Investor Beta barked. Um, I'm... I'm heading into the rear of the building through the access door. It appears as if something happened inside. There was a pause as Beta processed the information. Explain. Well, everything looks... He entered into the garage and looked around, seeing the collapsed maintenance arm and the electrical wires. Everything looks... broken. Mr. Baker, do you have your spark camera? Baker reached in his suit jacket, his hand going into the inside pocket, and produced a small, round camera with a little metal plug on one side. He stuck the plug into his secondary spark connection at his left temple, a cybernetic implant he was required to get when he took this job. There was a small buzzing as the camera powered up, and suddenly a little window appeared in his Omninet display, with a message that read, Streaming Video Capture. Now Investor Beta would be able to see everything he was seeing. This is just inside the back entrance of the main garage, Baker said over the call as the video began streaming. Proceed into the biological chamber, the Investor commanded. I'm sorry, Baker said, but I don't... Proceed to your left, the door on your left. Baker followed as he was ordered. Though he had taken the time to look around, it would have been simple to figure out which chamber the Investor had meant. The room in question, and the garage itself, appeared to be the only parts of the facility, or at least the only parts of this floor, that had suffered damage. The door to the bio-chamber was broken open, and Baker made sure he captured the entire area on video as he moved down the hallway and into the room beyond. Other than the damage around the entrance, the room was pristine. Seven stasis pods lined the walls of the room, all of them closed and sealed except for one. The one closest to the door was open, the dark interior empty and lifeless, with only a half-dozen hanging cords and wires dangling from the ceiling. Mr. Baker swept his vision across the whole room, allowing Investor Beta to see everything. Seven pods in total, the Investor said. Six remain intact. One has been ejected. Mr. Baker, please approach the first pod. Warren did as he was told, first looking over the control terminal and then scanning the interior. As he did so, he heard the Investor speaking as if recording his own voice for future reference. Interior of the pod appears to have suffered no damage, implying the biological specimen was released from the outside. The connections on the cables do not appear to have been forced, suggesting the proper startup procedures were followed. And it... Mr. Baker, please pan left. Warren followed the order, looking directly at a spot in the wall from which two of the cables descended. It appeared that this part of the pod was modular, and that something had been removed from it, since there were metal connecting pins exposed along the sides of this football-sized alcove. Hibernation module has been removed, Beta continued, hastily, but with purpose. Mr. Baker, your job has changed. We will be sending Mr. Time to relieve you. You must now find Dr. Harland Wolfe. Find him? Baker asked. Yes, he has stolen invaluable assets that belong to the company. He must be found and brought before the investors to answer for these actions. Should I alert ONSD? Send out a bulletin? Baker asked. Already done, the investor said. If ONSD finds Dr. Wolf, they are to hold him. We are charging you with returning him to the investors. Understood?
Yes. Be careful, Mr. Baker. We have reason to suspect Dr. Wolf to be armed and dangerous. There is no telling what he may do. Regina poked her head up into the storm drain, peering out onto the street above from the dark and filthy sewer system. They were on the corner of 3rd and Mavis, meaning they had already gone six blocks in the wrong direction. She cursed herself for dozing off on Stanley. She was surprised she was able to sleep at all, even if it was only for 30 minutes. But her day had been so active this entire time, she couldn't help but let the weariness get to her at some point. If not now, then later. At least she was somewhat refreshed, and felt ready to take on the challenges that the second half of this day would bring her. She climbed down from her perch and dropped into the main tunnel again, landing near Stanley, who watched her with his big dinosaur eyes. He yawned, his great jaws opening and revealing the six-inch-long, sharp teeth of the prehistoric carnivore. She realized she had been incredibly lucky that Stanley had been in control this entire time. If the dinosaur had come back while she was sleeping... Are you okay? she asked. Stanley cocked his head to the side in question. Like, do you feel all right? she clarified. You know, other than being a dinosaur. He swept his tail along the floor, effectively saying, kind of. I can't even imagine what it's like, she said. And you were always so particular about everything. Stanley snorted. Must be strange for you now, huh? He slapped his tail against the floor, agreeing with her. It was strange. She looked around at the dirty sewers, the place smelling of human waste, and she chuckled. You know, I had the hardest time getting you to just clean the toilet. And now you're in one. Stanley took a deep breath and exhaled heavily through his flaring nostrils. Regina felt the slight breeze of his breath and smiled. I know. I guess I didn't clean much either. Stanley grunted, turning to look directly at her. Okay, you cleaned a lot more than I ever did. She looked up at him, realizing how frightening of a sight he had become. Even now, after having spent the last few hours with this giant dinosaur, with her husband, she couldn't help but feel unnerved at seeing a Tyrannosaurus Rex looking down at her, head-on within arm's reach. She knew it was only a matter of time before Stanley would have to fight off the predator's mind, if he wasn't doing that right now. She was glad to have her husband back, but also terrified to be too close to him. It was an agonizing dichotomy when she stopped and thought about it. Can you feel him? Stanley cocked his head, in question once more. The dinosaur, she asked. Can you feel him in there? Stanley slapped his tail against the floor again. Yes. Is it, like, back here? She asked, touching the base of her skull at the top of her spinal cord. Yes, Stanley responded. Does he... <laughs> Does he say anything? Stanley slapped the floor twice. No. She scoffed at her own question. <laughs> well, of course he doesn't, she said. He's a frickin' dinosaur. She looked away for a moment, her eyes wandering. And you're a frickin' dinosaur. I, I still can't believe this. Any of this. Do you know how long you've been gone? 
No. Just over three years. 1,127 days, actually. Harlan said he could help me. He said he could help us. He saw you in pain, and he told me he could do something. You were in a coma by the end of it, and Harlan said that the sooner we act, the more likely we were to save you. Well, save your mind. Your body is gone, Stanley. Your brain is gone. We had your body cremated. But he said that we could save your mind. And I, I, I said yes. Oh God, I said yes. He was offering me the chance to keep you here, to, to keep you in my life. He died too young, he kept saying. We hooked you up to one of the equipment he has at his facility, and we lied there for three days. I lived in the basement of his facility for three days until the time came. Your body felt like ice, and I was ready to give up. Stanley didn't make a sound, other than the steady rhythm of his breathing. He didn't move or snort. He didn't swish his tail. He just stood there, listening. And then Harlan pointed to the machine, and there was this small blue light glowing there. It grew brighter, slowly, and he said that that was you, sleeping, in the machine. I couldn't believe it. I, I didn't know what to make of it. There was no way that I could prove if it was actually you, or if you had died with your body, but I guess I knew. I knew he had to be right. I had almost lost so much, and he just brought it all back. We transferred you to a spark chip shortly after. I spent a lot more time in the facility. Didn't like being home. I worked more than ever. Any time I could find to be in the building with you was enough to keep me going. I knew you were down there, resting. And the apartment just felt so empty now. There was nothing for me there except... Except a bed and food. The little bit I did spend at home, I just watched the net and thought about having you back. Naomi and I saw each other... Well, less... Her job was becoming more demanding, and I had... <laughs> Frankly, I didn't want to be around anyone else except for you. E even if you didn't know I was there. Eddie would call or visit every so often, but I felt I bored him. I never had much to talk about. I dreamed of you. A lot. Good dreams and bad dreams, they were all there. I dreamt we were back together. That we were working together and living together. I I dreamt of just me, too. And you were gone. Sometimes it's hard to tell which was the dream and which was reality. Like, everything Harland had said and done was a fantasy. And you were actually gone forever. Without any hope of coming back. Her eyes looked down the tunnel ahead. Her back to Stanley but she didn't see the sewers. Her mind was in another time, thinking back to the dull, dark tunnel of her life that had been the three years without her husband. Naomi said at one time that I was being 
I was being pathetic. I'm sure that was the last time we spoke face to face. She said I had enough time to grieve that, that I needed to get out. Your life isn't over, she said. She kept telling me to cherish his memory, that I had a long road ahead of me. I suppose she was right. Regina's eyes dropped down, looking at the floor ahead of her. She was always so strong-willed. She turned back around to look at Stanley and saw the great form of the Tyrannosaurus Rex standing there, staring her down still. Its flanks heaved in and out with its great, casual breaths, and its eyes, while still those of a prehistoric dinosaur, showed signs of intelligence that both excited and terrified her. But now you're back, she said. Well, sort of. I'm. You're here. You're... She pointed at Stanley's large head. You're in there, at least. We're going to fix this, Stan. Don't worry. First things first, though, we're... We're going to get that stabilizer from Eddie, and we're going to force that animal to settle down some. Make sure he knows that you're in charge, right? Stanley didn't answer. Well, his tail didn't. He stood still as a statue, except for those green eyes. Rather than focus on her, they stared straight forward over her head. Then, after a moment, they began darting back and forth. His breathing became irregular, and then steadied out again, its pace quickening. The dinosaur head swung back and forth, looking from one wall of the tunnel to the other. The tail began to sway, and it took a step back, repositioning itself in the tunnel, before turning its head down and looking directly at Regina once more. And this time, she was afraid it wasn't Stanley staring at her from behind those eyes. Stan? she asked. As if in response, the dinosaur opened its maw wide and loosed a bellow that shook the sewer system, echoing down the cement tunnel like a shockwave. Regina covered her ears instinctively and then looked around in horror for a place to escape to. Damn it, Regina, she thought. This is what you get for letting your guard down. And then she remembered the small alcove up by the storm drain. That was the only place nearby that she could fit into, and he could not. Without another thought, she turned and dashed towards the wall, making for the gutter near the ceiling. The dinosaur stepped forward, mouth open threateningly as she made to run. She stopped her forward motion and ducked straight down instead, the jaws closing on the air where her torso used to be. She knew that moving away from the dinosaur was a bad idea, as it could close the distance and grab her faster than she could move. So, rather than standing and running, she stayed low and rolled towards the T-Rex, coming up again between its legs. It snarled angrily and tried to backpedal, but she stayed with it. It was like a terrifying dance where one misstep could mean certain death. Those jaws were large enough to swallow her whole, so she had to stay where they couldn't reach. Seeing that it couldn't get to her by stepping backwards repeatedly, the Tyrannosaurus turned while it moved, trying to back itself toward the wall, limiting her ability to dodge out of the way. But tighter spaces worked to her advantage, and as she followed under its bulk, she moved back between its leg and tail, as far from its jaws as possible. She was starting to form a plan to get to the alcove, which was now further away, when the dinosaur surprised her. Standing straight up, tail lowering to the ground, the tyrannosaur lifted its leg and swung it backwards, towards her. 
It couldn't get decent leverage from this angle, but the force of the leg hitting her body was enough to send her on her back. The T-Rex grunted and turned to face her, but as it swung its body around, she rolled again, keeping herself near its feet, beneath its center. It lifted its foot, this time meaning to step on her and hold her still, and she used the opportunity to scramble to her feet and push against the standing leg, running into it with all of her strength. The Tyrannosaur stumbled sideways, away from her, its raised leg lifting higher into the air as it lost its balance and fell into the wall of the tunnel with a roar of frustration. She had her moment. She bolted for the alcove, into which she had climbed earlier, huddling as far into the back corner of the gutter as she could. The angle from her place in the gutter to the main sewer was too sharp to see more than a sliver at a time, but that also meant that, other than sticking its nose inside, she was safe from the wrecks as well. She didn't have much of a plan once she got in there, though. She cursed her luck, stuck inside a tight space, and a dead end at that. She'd just have to wait until the dinosaur receded again, and Stanley came forward once more. Although she didn't know how long that would be. Stanley had been in control for a long time, longer than before. Does this mean the dinosaur would see a similar amount of time, too? Or more? She had no choice but to sit and wait, and as she gave up to that realization, she heard the dinosaur roar at the alcove, the sound blasting in and reverberating off of the tight walls. Covering her ears until it subsided, she cursed her luck once more. Through her hands, she heard the dinosaur moving around outside of her hiding place, its footfalls heavy at first, and then quieting as they continued. And then everything around her stopped. She held her breath, and slowly pulled her hands away. And then she realized that the dinosaur had gone, and she breathed easier. Wait, she thought. He's gone? With a new sense of urgency, she scrambled her way to the end of the gutter and peered around the corner. The sewer tunnel was empty. He had gone, stomped off down one of the side tunnels, likely looking for his own way out and back into the open air. Shit, she thought. Now she'd have to go and find him. As she climbed down from her hiding place, she started to wonder how long this would go on for, keeping the dinosaur in her sights but also far enough away to where it wouldn't pose a threat. As she jogged to the nearest sewer tunnel, all she could think about was that she needed that damn stabilizer. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find the previous season of The Novelcast at nicholascorey.com slash novelcast. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-K-O-R-Y dot com slash novelcast. The Novelcast is a podcast that is made possible by the support of the fine backers over at patreon.com slash novelcast. If you like what you hear and you want to help support this podcast as well, feel free to head to patreon.com slash novelcast and donate your support. Any amount is incredibly helpful and deeply appreciated. Also, if you like audiobooks, head over to audiobooks.com slash novelcast. Audiobooks.com has millions of different titles available, and by heading to audiobooks.com slash novelcast, you'll not only sign up for their free 30-day trial, but you'll also be showing your support for this podcast as well. Thanks once again for listening, and I will see you next time.